Well, thank you for having us again. Uh, I thought T.R. was going to come inside. What happened? Oh, that's T.R. You see, I'm R.T. That stands for Right Theology. <laughs> He's T.R. He's totally reformed. You know, people ask, what does R.T. stand for? My father named me after his favorite preacher, Dr. R.T. Williams. And uh, I've been... I'm Robert Tillman, and I've been called R.T. all my life. Until I, we went to England, I studied at Oxford, and my supervisor said, may I call you Robert? I said, no. <laughs> he says, we don't like initials over here. I thought about that. You know, they all watched J.R. on Dallas. Uh, they should know about, and they know about O.J. You see, people that go by initials are of the highest standing. But uh, he said, may I call you Robert? And I was told before I went, do what your supervisor says, and I let him do it for three years. I never got used to it. I just thought you'd like to know that. <laughs> anyway, th thank you so much for having us back. I want to read Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I pray that this will be a word fitly spoken that will be life-changing, that there will be something in the next 25 minutes that will not be forgotten and will make a difference in the lives of here tonight. Do this, and we'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when the writer says, let us therefore, or let us then, with confidence, whenever you see the word therefore, it means to see what it's there for, and you go back. And so... The writer of Hebrews, uh, when we get to heaven, we'll find out who it was. You know, I'm going to go straight to the Apostle Paul and say, did you write Hebrews? 
And if he says no, then I'm going to say, well, you should have. <laughs> I could make a scholarly case that Paul wrote Hebrews, but I won't go into that now. But whoever wrote it is talking about our great high priest passed into the heavens, and you have this phrase only once in Scripture, Jesus, the Son of God. You don't find it anywhere else. He's referred to Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. But only here, Jesus, the Son of God. Why? Well, in order to come to the throne of grace with boldness, you need to know through whom you are coming. And by saying Jesus, the Son of God, it's a reminder that Jesus was man as though he were not God. He was God as though he were not man. He is the God-man. And when he's referred to as high priest, this is language of Zion that every Jew would understand. But then he goes on to say, this high priest is different. Uh, he, we don't have one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's a a pretty good sign that the typical high priests in Israel over the years, they were not sympathetic with the feelings of the people. You see, the high priest that went into the most holy place behind the curtain was only concerned about one thing, and that is the liturgy, that they get it right. They tied a rope to his foot that led into the outer court, a bell to his ankle so that if anything went wrong while he's in the most holy place, and he only did it once a year, they would not go in to get him. They would simply drag him out. And so the high priest was concerned to get the ritual exactly right, sprinkling the blood of Jesus on the mercy seat. But this high priest, says the writer, is different. He's actually touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Do you know what it is when you find someone who will feel what you feel? It's one thing to say, well, God bless you. You have my sympathy. I do understand, but they're trying hard. But to find someone who can feel what you feel, chances are you're going through something that you look, you just, if I could find one person who would know what it's like and I would talk to that person. Well, the news is, Jesus is that one. He can feel what you feel. Because in the 30 years, in the days of his flesh, that is, days while he was on this earth, he went through every conceivable temptation. And he's never forgotten what it was like. He's at the right hand of God, but he's never forgotten. And so, you have a weakness in the King James Version, it's called infirmity. You see, we all have them. What may be yours may not be mine. What may be mine may not be yours. Chances are you're not going to tell me what your weakness is. You'll be embarrassed to. You're afraid that I will say to you, Oh, boy, I don't have a problem like that. And you'd be sorry you told me. And I'm not going to share with you my weakness. I don't want you to say, Oh, I thought I had problems. You know. <laughs> The truth is, we've all got them. 
And what we are afraid would turn one off if you got to know what we're really like. Would you accept this? It's what turns him on. He's touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. And that's to make you feel that whoever you are, whoever you are, you don't have to pretend and act like you're something when he can see right through you anyway. In fact, earlier in the chapter, he just says, all things are naked and opened before his eyes. And so says the writer, in the light of this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I came to realize that this particular verse answers every question that you can ask when it comes to prayer or even to understand the grace of God. Uh, you know, when you were in English class years ago in school, you found, you learned that uh, an interrogatory sentence is a sentence that asks a question. It usually begins with a who or a where or a why. And you can take those words. I know of no other verse quite like this one. For example, who does this apply to? He says, let us come. How? <laughs> well, with confidence. Where are we going? To the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain and receive. What? Mercy. And find grace to help. When? In time of need. Well, who does this apply to? He says, let us then. That means simple people like you and me. Imagine this, invited to a throne. Uh, we've spent over half our adult lives in Britain. And uh, I remember when we first went to England, uh, I've already told you we were invited to study at Oxford. And after being there one week, we go into London and we go see Big Ben. And then we go to Buckingham Palace and we're standing outside Buckingham Palace. I know you'll find it hard to believe this, but she never did come out to greet us. <laughs> we just looked, TR, he was at that time around seven years old. He said, I saw that curtain move. I think she's just behind that curtain looking at us. Well, probably not. Um, you know, when we first went to Buckingham Palace, I never dreamed that three years later, I would be the minister of the church nearest to Buckingham Palace. Did you know that? Just block away. We're the closest church in England, in London, to Buckingham Palace. Uh, but I have to tell you, she's never come to hear me preach once. Um, we thought of having an every house canvas and see if we could get in, but we didn't do that. But my point is this. When you live in England, you find out the people who are invited into the presence of Her Majesty are those who have attained something. You're an ambassador, or you won a gold medal at the Olympics, or you, you win Wimbledon. 
And then you're invited to meet the queen. But here, ordinary people like you and me are invited to a throne on which is seated the king of kings and lord of lords. No qualifying necessary. You don't have to be rich and famous. You may not have achieved anything. But he says, let us come. And not only simple people like you and me, but sinful people like you and me. Are you ready for this? No spiritual qualifying necessary. You don't have to come up to a certain standard and say, well, you know, I think I can come boldly because I've been on a 40-day fast. Well, look, you're in worse shape than ever if you think that qualifies you. And so what is he talking about? Well, you've heard the hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Let the most unholy person in this room hear these words. You are invited to the throne of grace. No spiritual qualifying necessary. You may say, oh, I can't pray. I feel so unworthy. Oh, that is what makes you worthy. We just had the Lord's Supper. And you see, uh, there's a paradox. When you take the Lord's Supper, it says you want to come worthily. And a lot of people misunderstand that. And they say, well, I'm not worthy. I can't partake. But the worthiness consists of the fact that you feel unworthy. And you know you just don't deserve it. That is what makes you worthy. And so with this. And so we come because we've been invited. How? Boldly, says the King James Version. With confidence, the version that I'm reading here. Now, on what basis can we come with confidence and boldness? Well, when you go into the presence of Her Majesty, if you're a man, you just bow your head. If you're a woman, you genuflect. You don't just rush into the presence of Her Majesty. And you need to remember that only a sovereign has the right to invite who comes into their presence. You can't petition and say, I demand to come. But here, simple people, ordinary people, sinful people, you're invited to come and with boldness. How is this possible? Oh, it's all because of what our great high priest did. 2,000 years ago, one Friday afternoon, about 3 o'clock, Jesus of Nazareth uttered the words, it is finished. And in that moment, the veil, that veil that separated the outer court from the inner court, that veil, it had been hanging there for years. It looked as though it would hang forever, was ripped in two from top to bottom. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I come boldly, not because of anything we have done. You see, it's a popular notion in America that you get to heaven because of what you do for God. Wrong. You get to heaven because of what God does for you. Amen. And so with praying, why the confidence? Am I allowed to come with more boldness than you because 
I've been a Christian now. Let's see, what is six from 84? What's that? 78? I've been a Christian 78 years. I think I've been a Christian longer than anybody here. Does that mean I can come more boldly than anybody here? <laughs> Not at all. Or you have been doing special things this week for God. Does that mean you can come with more boldness? No. How is it? Well, it's a level playing field. We're on the same level. The reason we can come with boldness is what the writer will say later on in Hebrews, by the blood of Jesus. We're just saying it, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. It's because of the blood he shed. And so I don't come more boldly than you. You know more boldly than I. But it's the same blood of Jesus. And that's what gives us the entrance. And that's why you can come with boldness. You may blush to think I'm not worthy. But who is? All right. You come boldly to the throne of grace. You Bible students know that the Bible speaks of many thrones. Well, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord in the plain, and he said, I fell on my face. Isaiah saw the throne, and he saw the seraphim that cried one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah said, Woe is me. I'm undone. Because God's throne is essentially a throne of justice. Revelation chapter 20. John said, I saw a great white throne. And one sat on it, from whose face heaven and earth fled away. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And whoever was not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. You see, it's not a question whether you're going to come to the throne of God. It's only a question of which throne. Because one day, everybody will stand before the great white throne. You may say, well, I heard that man from Kentucky preach. By the way, when I've referred to the fact that I'm from Kentucky, I don't want you to feel inferior to me. Don't, no, no, please. I don't think I'm better than you. I probably am. I just don't think it. <laughs> you can say, well, uh, that man from Kentucky didn't convert me. Look here. You may win the battle, but God will win the war. And one day you'll be summoned before the throne of grace and you'll stand. And you'll stand alone. But as of now... On this 11th day of August, 2019, it's a throne of grace. It won't always be that, but it is now. What is grace? Well, someone has put it like this. Love that looks upward is adoration. Love that looks across is affection. Love that looks down is grace. For by grace... Are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But why 
do we go to the throne of grace? And the answer is, and the Holy Spirit has this worded carefully, that we may receive, that we may obtain. What's the point? Well, it's because you feel that there's nothing in you. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. You go to the throne of grace not because you're full of faith and power, but because you feel so weak. And you go to receive. You don't go to the throne of grace to find out how good you are. Sometimes I feel so unworthy. And I just can hardly lift up my head. But I know one thing. I go to receive to the rock that is higher than I. And the question is, what? And we now come, possibly, to the most important part of what I have to say tonight. Maybe I can show why you haven't been getting your prayers answered. Do you realize what it is you are to ask for when you go to God in prayer? Do you know what you're to ask for? Look at it. He says that we may receive mercy. Mercy? Surely not. That's what I asked for when I first got saved. God be merciful to be a sinner. Surely. But this is talking to believers. Listen to me. We never outgrow the need to ask God for mercy. You never reach the place that you can go into the presence of God and snap your finger and say, here, do this for me. No. You ask for mercy. That's what you did when you first converted. You realize you've got no bargaining power. And these Hebrew Christians needed to be told that you never outgrow the need to ask for mercy. Maybe you have been guilty of rushing into the presence of God and you think that God is going to jump and salute you because you pray. Look, do you remember how the leper approached Jesus? The leper went to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You don't have to. But if you will, you can make me clean. You see, when you ask for mercy, that means you've got no bargaining power. You realize that he can give or withhold mercy and be just either way. God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. You think, oh dear, can it be possible that God would give me mercy? This is where we all are. We don't snap our fingers and expect God to jump. By the way, when is the last time you asked the Lord for mercy? When did you ever go up to a, a person and ask for mercy? You know, your pastor and I, we're, we're getting to be kind of good friends. I may ask you for a favor, Dan, but if I ever ask for mercy, you will know I'm in bad shape. I'll use any other word, but if I ask for mercy, 
That means I'm in bad shape that I would ask you, have mercy on me. Years ago, Louise and I were driving in Miami Beach, Florida on Collins Avenue. That's the street where there, for 17 miles, one hotel after another, right on the ocean. And uh, I used to go by just to watch those, uh, drive by and look at those hotels. One evening, Louise and I were in front of the famous Fontainebleau. And I'll never forget it. We were driving 35 miles per hour. We came to a, a traffic light. It was green. Then it turned yellow. And before I knew it, it turned red. And I was going 35 miles per hour. And I, I went on through. I don't know where this man came from. <laughs> but in my rearview mirror was a blue light going on and off, on and off. And I, oh, no. I pulled over, and I walked back to the policeman. He was looking like this. So I knew that he knew that I knew <laughs> what I'd done. I said, officer, you got me. Please don't give me a ticket. He said, why? Well, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> he says, I've given out 19 in the today and I want to give out 20 so I can go home. I said, please don't give me a ticket. He said, give me one reason. Just give me a reason. I, I, I said, well, uh, I think that where we live, the yellow light stays yellow just a little longer. <laughs> and, and, and he said, sir, you went right through that red light. You went right through that red light. I said, I know, but we were just driving 35 miles by. He said, the speed limit is 25. <laughs> and now he could arrest me for something that he hadn't even started to think about. And I thought, if I keep talking, what more is he going to find? <laughs> I just said, please don't give me a ticket. He says, give me one reason. No reason. I'm just asking for mercy. He let me go. I'll never forget how I felt. You see, that's the way it is. Like it or not, that's the way it is. When you come to God, you ask for mercy. Mercy. You don't qualify except because of the blood of Jesus. And then you find grace to help. Don't get the cart before the horse. You ask for mercy and you find grace. You thought, I thought we asked for grace. No, you ask for mercy, and you find grace. He's rich in mercy. He's not going to turn down anybody that asks for mercy. While you are alive, that's the time to do it. I have to tell you that the rich man in hell, according to the parable of the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16, you know, he got his prayer right, but it was too late. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. It was too late then. But you see, for us tonight, for all I know, everybody here is saved. But here's the thing. You ask for mercy. And he's rich in mercy. And you find grace to help. When? In time of need. As one of the old hymns put it, just when I need him most.
My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When does he do it? In time of need. The God of the Bible. Never too late. Never too early. But always just on time. Who does this apply to? Let us come. How? Boldly. With confidence. Where? Throne of grace. Why? That we may receive. What? Mercy. And find grace to help. When? In time of need. Heavenly Father, apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.